You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. All right, so the book of Romans, chapter number nine, if you would please. And um, if you'll bear with me, I want to just share uh, a little bit in the way of a, a survey uh, concerning Romans and everything. My, my introduction will be probably half the message, and my introduction will be very, uh, maybe more along the lines of teaching, uh, if you'll bear with me. And then I'll try to get into an application I'd like to draw from these verses. Uh, I would like to preach on this thought because I believe what uh, Romans chapter 9 begins to answer is this, the problem with Israel... Uh, or I was going to tie to the problem with the Jews, but I thought about Israel because of it being a national reference there. And I'm going to be doing this for a couple of weeks because it's going to take me a little bit of time to get through the book of Romans chapter number 9 because there's a lot of misunderstanding. If, and if you'll read ahead of me, not necessarily this morning, I don't think I'll read the whole chapter, but as you read the whole chapter, you can see that uh, this is maybe some verses that you've uh, never studied before or heard before, but there's a lot of confusion uh, around these verses. Verses, but the great thing about these verses is when rightly understood and put into context, they actually answer a lot of uh, questions uh, that we have today and some false doctrines and misunderstandings that I'll mention in just a moment. But let's uh, begin in Romans chapter 9, verse number 1. Um, we preached these verses a couple of months ago, so I'm not going to preach the first uh, few verses here. But the Bible says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. I just got to pause right there because coming out of Romans chapter number 8, man, uh, Romans chapter number 8 is one of the high marks of high watermarks, if you will, in all the Word of God. I mean, Romans chapter 8 is, uh, obviously, Romans from chapter 1 all the way up is building, and it gets to Romans chapter 8, man, and I'm telling you, it takes us to heights, I mean, just about dizzying heights of glory and of, uh, of, of blessing in the truth of the grace of Almighty God and the wisdom of God. I mean, it's just incredible. So the joy and the rejoicing of Romans chapter number 8, but in the midst of all that, and I think this is good, kind of the paradox of the Christian life, we ought to be a joyous people. We ought to be a happy people, amen? People ought to know, because you know what? we got something to rejoice about, don't we? Somebody says, well, things aren't so good. But guess what? God's always good. Amen? Uh, Well, the circumstances aren't great, but I'm always saved. Amen? I'm saved, therefore I've got a home in heaven, so i always got something to rejoice about. Jesus loves me. My my, my present is sure. Uh, My my future is secure as well, as as is yours. But in the midst of all of that, uh, verse 2, he says, In the midst of all this, I've got a great heaviness and a sorrow in my heart, a continual sorrow in my heart, And what is this about? For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And uh, and, and then he tells us who these are here in verse 4. Who are Israelites? Who are Israelites? So he's got such a burden for the Jewish people, the Hebrew people. He wants to see them come to Christ in so much that he says, I would be willing to be accursed from Christ. Quite literally, his concern for these people is to the extent to where he says, I would be willing to face an eternity without Christ. 
I would be willing to go to hell if it meant Israel being saved. That's quite a burden. I don't think I've been able to ever pray that for anybody. But that's the kind of burden that he has. And I just want to say this uh, before I move on. God help us to have a burden for people. God help us to care for people. There's people out there that need to know the love of Christ. There's people out there. And listen, the way they're going to know the love of Christ is through us. Amen. The love we have for one another. The love we have for them. What kind of love does God have toward this world? Folks, it's an unconditional love. Amen. It's not a love that draws a line in the sand and says, I'll love you if you get to this point. It's a love that says, I love you. And I love you right where you are. And God can make a difference and save you and bring you uh, to the place where He would have you to be. And so that's the kind of love that we ought to have for this lost and dying world. It don't mean that we agree with everything. It don't mean that we love sin. But it means that we we love sinners. Amen? Because we're all sinners and the Lord loved us. And so uh, I said I wasn't going to preach those verses but because we, we did that some time ago. But notice what the Bible says in verse 4. Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. I mean, so it goes back to these people that were uh, adopted, a nation that was brought forth by God. The glory, the Shekinah glory of God, the Ten Commandments, the covenants, uh, the giving of the law, the service of God, which speaks of the tabernacle and then into the temple, uh, the promises, which again speaks of the promises that are still yet valid concerning Israel in the days to come. Uh, verse 5, whose are the fathers? In other words, uh, when you think about uh, you know, going back from Adam and Noah and uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, uh, Joseph, right on down the line, uh, Moses, and you keep going, David, uh, the fathers. Uh, whose are the fathers? And of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who was over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Now, these next couple verses is what I want to deal with primarily this morning uh, in, in just a moment. But the Bible says in verse 6, Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel which are of Israel. They are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And so we'll deal with that in just a moment. So going back to give an overview a little bit, I believe the book of Romans, folks, is a book that every child of God should know. If you're here today and you're saved and you are not familiar with the book of Romans, you need to get familiar with the book of Romans. When I say Romans chapter number 5, there ought to be verses that come to your mind if you've been saved any amount of time. When I say Romans 8, you ought to be able to say yes. And if you don't, don't be ashamed this morning. I'm just encouraging you that this is something you want to know. Read the book of Romans. In fact, uh, whenever, I, whenever somebody comes to Christ, I encourage them to get into the Bible right away. And whether Even if I meet someone who's saved that's, that's never really gotten into the Word of God, never been discipled, uh, I, I encourage them to get into their Bibles. But I don't necessarily encourage them to start in Genesis and go through Revelation. Nothing wrong with that. Oftentimes I'll tell them, I say, go to the Gospel of John and then go and read the book of Romans. 
And after they're done with that, I may encourage them to do it again. Amen? Go to the Gospel of John. Go to the book of Romans. Uh, Romans is literally a theological masterpiece. Romans is one of the most important... Listen to this. Romans, the book of Romans, is one of the most important documents in the history of the world. And that is not overstating it by any means whatsoever. Uh, And I could say more about that, but Romans is one of the most important documents in the history of the world. It couples the Old and New Covenants like no other book. So we should read it, learn it, and know it. And here's the cool thing. I said it's a theological masterpiece. There may be those of you that are listening to me this morning that say, okay, if it's a theological masterpiece, I don't know if that's a place where I should be reading or not. Because number one, theological masterpiece, that sounds too hard. But let me tell you something. One of the great things about this is is that God can reveal the truth uh, in these words. And He lays it out in such a way that it can be understood, especially if you're saved and have the Holy Spirit of God on the inside to illuminate these verses. But the Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs how that the truth of God will make wise the simple. Make wise the simple. So you may not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. But even then, if you'll get in here and study this book, I'm telling you what, you will have wisdom imparted unto you. Amen. And I'm telling you, it's just awesome. So Romans is a good example how the wise can be made simple. The first three chapters of Romans describe the fact that all men are lost. You know, uh, what the world does today, humanism, socialism, and a lot of religions, they try to deal with the fruit of man's problem. You know, they see men go wrong. How can we fix it? But you know what Romans, chapter, what Romans does? It goes to the very root of man's problem. And the root of man's problem is that we were all born sinners. We have a depraved nature. This is the way we were born. The first three chapters of Romans goes into great detail on how that the heathen are lost and that the Jews are lost and that when you get down to it, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Then chapters 4 through 8 unveil in glorious detail God's wonderful plan of salvation, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Romans 8, I said before, is just one of the greatest chapters I believe ever. And Paul had argued in Romans chapter 8 that the believer is secure in Jesus Christ uh, and that God's election would stand. Now, it's really interesting. I thought it was great this morning because we sang a couple songs we sung. We sung glory, uh, glory to His name. And I was thinking as we sung that song that of all the religions in the world that Christianity is a singing religion. Now I know that there are those that, that, that imitate, but I'm talking about true Christianity. If you think about many of the other cults and uh, just pagan religions and everything, they don't have singing. They have some chants, you know, that you could try to say is singing, but there's not singing. And it's not, see, because the Bible says when we're saved, He puts a song in our hearts. Amen? That's why I encourage the congregational singing. That's why I encourage to let that song that's in your heart come out and sing out to the Lord and glorify God. And I still believe that the most spiritual singing that you should ever hear is when the congregation, all of us together, no matter what our talent level is, can just lift our voices together in glory to God for a sweet sound uh, to go up to heaven. 
But then also, uh, God's election being sure. Salvation being sure. That's what is presented in uh, Romans chapter 8. The security of the believer. Did you know that one of, one of the things that's missing from religion? There are, religion out there does not offer security. It does not offer 100% assurance. I was fascinated. In other words, there's people, religion teaches this. You gotta do this and you gotta do that, or you gotta do any number of things. It may just be one or two things, it may be a whole plethora of things. And then at the very end of it all, it'll say, and then maybe your chances are greatly enhanced and increased if you will do these things. I'll just add one more time, as you've heard me say many, many times. It's no wonder the world is turned away from God and church after all the false religion and false representations of truth and of God that are out there today. Of all this man-made rules and religion. Listen, there's, there's God's rules, uh, amen, and, and, and worship, but, it, but it's not. The, these people, they get you. You know, okay, well, what do I need to do? Well, you need to do this. Okay, good. And then you need to do that. And, somewhere, and almost in, inevitably along the line, there's some money involved in that too, isn't there? It is sad, uh, the amount. Listen, praise God, we worship with our giving. Amen. Jesus preached about giving, and we ought to give. And, and this is a giving people, and we love to give and worship God in our, our giving. But I tell you, man, these churches and these religions that hold eternity up over people's heads for a dime... Man, I tell you, but anyway, that's a whole other story. The point that I'm trying to make is this, uh, that God offers assurance. In other words... See, I come to Christ. I heard the simple plan of salvation back in 1992. Thank God I heard a clear presentation of the gospel, something which many people ha have still not heard today. You no doubt have neighbors and co-workers, and perhaps friends that have never truly heard a clear presentation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm glad one day I heard, I heard the gospel. You say, what is that? It is this. It's, somebody says, well, isn't that just that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again? Well, yes. But that, that's, without the application of that, you still miss the gospel. Because if you don't understand why Jesus did it, you don't understand salvation. When you understand that, number one, the Bible teaches that we were all born sinners, and that there's a penalty that must be paid for sin, and that Jesus loved you and I enough to go pay the penalty for our sin. When I found out that Jesus loved me, amen? I, don't, I guess as long as I can remember, I believe that He loved the world. But what a day when I realized that Jesus went to the cross, shed His blood because I had sinned against God. And that sin was going to keep me out of heaven. So Jesus died on the cross to take my place. And that He carried my sins. And He died. Though my death. He took my death. He took my hell. He took my separation from Almighty God on the cross. And He took yours as well. And He died there that day because the wages of sin is death. But then He rose again on the third day so that we might be justified. And the simple message then comes down to this application. That if I'm willing to turn from my sin, if I'm willing to turn to Christ, if I'm willing to turn from trusting in my own works and my own religion and all these other things, if I'm willing to look and say, okay, Jesus, You paid it all. You did it all. If I'm willing to do that, the Bible says if I believe on Him from my heart, not in my head, but from my heart. It's not a belief as an acknowledgement. It, you know, it's, it's just like the, the belief of me saying that right now that chair is liable to fall out from under you. You can say you believe that, but the only person that really believes it is the person that's hopping up. Amen? 
See, faith, it's, it's the devil's believing God. The demons of hell, Satan himself believes that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. He knows it. He knows that Jesus was buried. He knows that Jesus rose again the third day. He knows that Jesus is the creator and sustainer of the universe. He knows all that. But folks, His ultimate destination is hell. Because when the Bible talks about believing on Him, it's not talking about just saying, oh yeah, sure, I believe. It, it, it's putting you all your faith and all your trust in Him and for, for salvation. The point I'm trying to make is this, is that the moment that I did that back in 1992, October 10th, 1992, when I put my faith and trust in Christ, I want you to know something. From that day, I have been saved. From that moment when I accepted Christ, I had eternal life. I had assurance that I will be in heaven one day. Anything I've done since that day has not, has, has not gone to help me get to heaven. There's nothing left that I must do so that I can go to heaven. No, what Jesus did guarantees that I'm going to heaven because I accepted that gift of salvation. And, if, and that goes the same for you. We have that assurance. And so what do we hold over your head? Nothing, man. The, the love of Christ constraineth me. Somebody said, I've heard people say, well, man, if I believe that, I'd just live any old, thing, old way I wanted to. Well, me too. That's what I'm doing. I'm living the way I want to live. Amen? What way is that? The way God wants me to live. What God's called me to do. Amen? I mean, listen, what He's done in my life, He's been so good to me. The love of Christ constrains me. And so, uh, the security uh, that, is, that, that we're told about in Romans chapter number 8. But then that leads to a question in verse and in chapter number 9. Because this promise is going to the world. This promise is going to the church. This promise is going to the Gentiles, the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. So that's the title of the message when I said the problem with Israel. Because it causes someone in Romans chapter 9 to say, wait a second. What about Israel? What about the nation of Israel? Did, weren't they chosen by God? Weren't they the people of God? Didn't they have promises? What about Israel? What about Israel? And so that's kind of the answer or, or the question that's being brought up in chapter number 9. And really, uh, basically, it's, it's, it's answering that question and defending the character of God because some would seem to indicate as if God has just totally forgot about His people Israel. But that is not the case. And so, when we think about this, uh, the, the nation of Israel, they were chosen by God, and yet now they have been set aside by God, and God's building His church. So the question is this, did God fail to keep His promises to Israel? In other words, the very character of God is at stake. The emphasis in Romans chapter number 9 is on Israel's past election. In Romans 10, because this is going to be three chapters that go right together, Romans 10 on Israel's present rejection, and in Romans 11 on Israel's future restoration. Israel is the only nation in the world. This is interesting. Israel is the only nation in the world with a complete history. God obviously gives us the past of Israel. But it's amazing. You read through the Old Testament, you read through the New Testament, and we know the present situation of Israel. We kind of get what's going on there if you read the Bible. But then not only that, Israel, we also know Israel's future according to the Word of God. 
There's never been a nation like this. We know their past. We know their present. We know their future. They have a complete history. Romans 9, 10, and 11, by the way, uh, destroy the false teaching of replacement theology. Chapter 9 addresses the question of why Israel was temporarily set aside as a nation. 9 specifically deals with their past. And it emphasizes God's sovereignty. And what has been done concerning Israel. Chapter 10 uh, deals with uh, the present, again, the 11, the future. Paul defends the character of God by showing Israel's past history. And it, it answers as we go through here, we'll see some of the attributes of God. God's faithfulness, God's righteousness, God's justice, and God's grace. And... As we consider this, and as we look in these verses, we'll not get it all taken care of today. And again, I'm still teaching and kind of in this introductory portion. These verses emphasize the absolute sovereignty of God and the moral responsibility of man. This chapter sets right some misunderstandings about God's, so- about God's sovereignty. Because there's some, when they speak of the sovereignty of God, they take it beyond the, where the Bible takes the sovereignty of God. And so, but these chapters help us understand a little bit about the sovereignty of God and about what election uh, really is. Under this, understanding this section of uh, uh, Scripture will also shed some light on some other misunderstandings and downright fallacies in the Christian world today. One of those popular teachings that I mentioned earlier is replacement theology, otherwise known as supersessionism. In short, this doctrine teaches that God is basically finished with Israel as a nation. And that the church has replaced them in God's plans and promises. So that's, that, that, that's, that's common. That is a very growing uh, belief among Bible preachers and teachers today. But I'm telling you, you've got to be on the lookout for it. But there are people that say, no, we don't need that anymore. We, we have taken the place. But I'm telling you, folks, that is absolutely incorrect. As, as the Bible says, not only here in Romans 9, 10, and 11, but in other places as well. So God's Word, folks, is very clear. That the Lord is not done with the nation of Israel. She will be restored And she will be saved in a day, as the Bible says in the book of Revelation. You know, I believe it. it, To me, it seems, I can almost understand a little bit people from years ago, uh, the Reformers and many Protestants over the years uh, have uh, taken on a form of replacement theology. uh, And you say, aren't we Protestants? No, we're not Protestants. Amen. We we never, we we did not come out of the Catholic Church, so we're not Protestants. But, But many of those through the years, I can understand in a sense how they began teaching that Israel was no longer a nation and that the church has now taken the place of them because at that time, Israel was not a nation. Israel was just a bunch of Jews that were scattered around the face of the earth in all kinds of different countries. And throughout the Bible, there's two cities that are prominent throughout the Bible, and that's the city of Babylon and the city of Jerusalem. Those two cities are named more than any other cities in all the Word of God. Uh, the, the, the Babylon reference, of course, is a mention of Iraq. And then Jerusalem is a mention of literal Jerusalem. And for years, people said there's no way. I mean, up until uh, the early 1900s, Iraq was just a, just a place for uh, wonders and nomads and everything. But something up in the early 1900s, they struck oil. And the timing was just right to where that was going to be a great need. And so it just changed the face of the Middle East at that point. 
And then, of course, after World War II, we know that the, that the, the nation of Israel... Or that the Jews, especially of Europe, uh, at, at that time, what was Israel was kind of a British uh, colony. So they were able to say, you know what, we'll set this land aside and we'll give it back to the nation of Israel. Then all of a sudden, a nation is born. All of a sudden, they're given their land back. And even, just recent, and even in just recent events, the fact that Jerusalem was recognized by the United States as the, uh, as the capital city of the nation of Israel. I'm not getting political here, but I'm just telling you, the fact that that happened, the fact that that's been promised by what, the last four, five, six presidents, uh, that they would make uh, Jerusalem the capital of, of Israel, that they would move the embassy there. Well, guess what? Man, that actually happened. And all of this is a fulfillment of Bible prophecy uh, and, and, and is an illustration that God's not done with Israel. Okay, so uh, real quickly, what this section deals with is it, it talks about their foundation, their founding. The Bible talks in verses 4 and 5 about uh, you know, the, the covenants and the adoption and so forth. Uh, but th then we also see their failure. And this is where we're going to learn about the failure of Israel. But just in case you're scared, you're going to get bored, just bear with me. Because I'm going to make an application because there's lessons that God teaches us, us today about the children of Israel. The Bible says the things that happened unto them happened for our ensamples that we may learn from them. So the failure of Israel was that in spite of these blessings, Israel failed. Israel was never intended, that the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, were never intended to stick up their nose in the air at the rest of the world and just say, we're the chosen people and you are no good. They were actually chosen by God to be a light to the whole world. You read in Jeremiah, you can read in God's glowing terms. And I believe it's right around Jeremiah 30, 33, but it's when he's talking about I've loved thee with an everlasting love. The context of that is he's speaking about when he's reaching not only the, the nation of Israel, but the, but the Gentiles as well. That's what they were supposed to do. And, and, and I want to say that one of, oftentimes when people get into Romans 9, 10, and 11, some of the confusion stems from uh, a misunderstanding of context. Because, and that's going to kind of bring us to the point that I want to give you quickly today. And that is this. That when we talk about the nation of Israel and we talk about what's being dealt with here, oftentimes we're dealing with nations. And sometimes during the course of chapter 9, God's going to use an illustration of His dealing with a nation. And then He'll go over here and speak to an individual. Because the, so God's dealings when it comes to nations and individuals are different. There are decisions that God makes for nations that will not be uh, reversed. Can't, there, there's, in other words, there's decisions made for nations where there's no free will involved whatsoever. God has just said, this is the purpose of this nation. This is what I will do with this nation. This is the way I will use this nation. I'm talking about a nation. But see, where people get confused is they read that and they read an individual into that. And that is not the case. God, as we're going to see, gives uh, the opportunity for, uh, for personal faith and for um, free will because that, that's what the Bible teaches from the very beginning, from, all the way from the Garden of Eden. But their failure was that they, when, when their Messiah, all this time they were looking for their Messiah, but when their Messiah came, they rejected and crucified Him as a nation. Again, right? Not every Jew rejected Christ, but as a nation. They were set aside as a nation for the basic reason that they refused to believe God. 
Practically, they are an example to us in many cases of what not to do. But I'll say this, the church has fallen guilty of many of the things that Israel was guilty of. And that's one of the reasons why we see, I believe, the church age coming to a close. And, uh, and, and the Lord will come again and we'll get into the kingdom phase later. But practically, they're an example of what not to do. What did they do? They sinned against the grace of Almighty God. They lived presumptuously. In other words, I'm a Jew and I can go about doing this and God will just be pleased with it. Uh, they, all of this because they forgot the wonderful work of God in their lives. They, they had to be reminded constantly and even then it wasn't, didn't work about what God had done for them. About how God had worked in their lives in the past. And so... With that long and lengthy introduction, which I appreciate your indulgence on, I want to give you a, just, a, just a quick thought here on verses 6 through 8, where he again talks about Israel. I'll read verse 6, "...not as though the word of God hath taken an effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all the children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called." That is, they which are the children of the flesh are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. So, when we talk about the failure of Israel, this is going to be in many parts. The first part I'm going to say is this, the failure of personal faith. The failure of personal faith. If you would turn with me quickly to uh, just back a few chapters, I believe in order to understand these chapters, does anybody know what the best commentary on the Bible out there is? The Bible. Amen. The best commentary you'll ever find on the Bible is the Bible. Uh, in other words, when you read Romans chapter number 9, the best way to understand it is to go back, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to understand what verses 6 through 8 are talking about is to go to Romans chapter number 4 to begin with. And so go over there with me, if you will, just for a moment. See, when we, when we consider the individual response here, uh, just because a person is born into the family of the nation of Israel does not mean that they automatically reap Israel's blessing of spiritual inheritance and salvation. These things are based on an individual response to God. And those who believe God are considered the true Israel. Thus, the true Israel exists within the limits of national Israel. Being a physical descendant of Abraham was not sufficient. One also needed to be a spiritual, uh, needed to be a spiritual descendant by trusting Jesus Christ for salvation. Which again, for those of you that are still with me, I hope to get you all back if any of you has gone. Uh, but that, 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 that was another teaching, especially there was, a, there was a Bible teacher that was real popular in the 90's and early 2000's and he basically taught that if you were a Jew, man, you didn't even need to be saved. It was already taken care of. And of course, you know, the thing about those false doctrines that are out there today, the Bible messes up people's false doctrines. And if the Bible messes up your doctrine, you need to change doctrine. Amen? You don't need to change Bibles, amen, or just ignore You need to change doctrines. And that's what's wrong with a lot of these people. It's just like, yeah, but the Bible clearly says here, rightly divided in, in context, uh, that each individual needs to be saved. Alright, Romans chapter number 4 reveals that Abraham's relationship with God depended on an individual spiritual relationship, not on a physical one. Notice Romans chapter 4, verse 1. What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh, hath found. 
For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. How did Abraham come to Christ? Somebody says, oh, through works. And and James says it's through works. No, the Bible says faith without works is dead. The work, if you will, is this. If you believe God, I said it earlier, if you believe God, you'll do what He said to do. His faith was this. He believed God, therefore it made a difference in his life. His works prove his faith. It's not that works are our faith, but works prove our faith. But the Bible in Galatians chapter 3, and you can just write that one down if you don't want to turn over there, but in Galatians chapter 3 verse 6, the Bible says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Did you know there's people out there today that, that teach that in the Old Testament you were saved by works, but in the New Testament you're saved by grace? That's an interesting thing because, again, when God is trying to prove to us in the New Testament that we're saved by grace through faith, are you ever having a conversation with somebody and you wish you could just think of a really good example to illustrate and to get your point across? You know, you may struggle to do that from time to time. Sometimes you may come up with one that's not so great and you think, man, that could have been, there's surely got to be a better one. Well, let me tell you something. When God's trying to explain something to us, He does not struggle and think, oh, what would be a good example? Oh, I should have used a better example. When God is trying to teach us we're saved by grace through faith, God says, I'll tell you what, I want to teach you that you're saved by by grace through faith. How am I going to teach that to you? Abraham. Abraham. You say, yeah, but he did works. But the point is, it's the same principle in the New Testament. You go through uh, Hebrews chapter number 11, the hall of faith. See, what James is counteracting when he talks about those that are being saved by works, what he's literally saying is this. Those people that would say, it goes back to my statement earlier, that Satan, he believes Jesus is who he says he is. So what? It doesn't do him any good. There's a lot of people out there. I believed all my life that Jesus died on the cross and rose again the third day. I don't want to say so what, that's a good thing to believe, but I didn't put my faith in it. And, I, and, and again, now I'm in one of those situations where I wished I could think of a different way to explain this to you, uh, but I'm just going to give you this illustration. It reminds me of the, of, of the fella uh, that, that, that years ago began to, uh, he did a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and I think it was against the lower section, not what the guy did a few years ago, but he was, one, he was the first one to do this uh, tightrope act over Niagara Falls. And it became a, a regular act uh, that he would do over Niagara Falls. And it got to the point to where he would carry stuff across. And it even got to the point to where he would push a wheelbarrow across. And he would invite people. And I'm pretty sure that he actually pushed a kid across in this wheelbarrow one time. Alright, so what, what, what are you getting at? I'm getting at this. Uh, I'm not just giving my mysteries at the museum knowledge, okay? Uh, I'm telling you that there's a good example in that. Because there was one of the times where he pushes a wheelbarrow across. He gets a wheelbarrow up on the top, up on that tightrope. And he asks the question, how many of you believe that I can push this across the tightrope? You know, woo, yeah, we believe it, man. You can do it. But then he says, Hayden, get in the wheelbarrow. Let me push you across Niagara Falls. That's the difference. Faith without works is dead, being alone. So the faith that Abraham had, yes, it brought about works because um, I mentioned Hebrews 11 earlier. The Bible says by faith. 
This person believed God and they did this. They believed God. I believed God. I believed that I was a lost sinner on my way to hell. But I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins, rose again the third day. So I said, Jesus, please save my soul. Amen? If I'd have just walked away and said, yeah, I believe that. Wait, but you're going the wrong way. I mean, you don't believe it if you believed that you'd be coming to Christ. And so, uh, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. And so, then in verse 7 of Galatians, uh, see, it wasn't just the family he was born into. Galatians 3 verse 7 says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, uh, the same are the children of Abraham. And so again, that illustration. But So, Although one is a child of Abraham, he's born physically as a Jew. He's not considered a spiritual descendant or a true child of Abraham until he trusts Christ as his Savior. I'm going to give you just a few more verses out of Galatians than a couple out of John. But Galatians 3, verses 8 through 9, and you could turn there. I should have told you to turn there if I'd have thought how much I was going to be in there. But Galatians 3, verses 8 through 9, the Bible says, And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all the nations be blessed. All the nations be blessed. So then, they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. So it's not enough to be the seed of Abraham according to the flesh. One needs to be the seed of Abraham in the sense that he exercises faith in God. This deals with our evangelism as well. We're not in a heavily Jewish area. But we need not think to ourselves, oh, man, Israel, that's God's people. So they, we don't need to tell them about the gospel. They're okay. No, they're not okay. If they don't know Christ, they need to know Christ. By the way, when I was mentioning the church earlier, the Bible talks about the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. A Gentile is just anyone that's not Jewish. A Jew is a Jew. You might want to write that down to remember. A Jew is a Jew. But anyway, uh, and a Gentile is anyone who is not a Jew. The church is made up of both. Jew and Gentile. And so, uh, so these people need to be reached with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when Jesus Christ was on earth, and if you want to go to John 8 with me to close this out, when Christ was on earth, the Jews thought that they were physical descendants of Abraham, therefore they would never be cursed or refused by God. But in John chapter 8, verses 36 through 38, Jesus said this, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. The Jews were trusting in their physical lineage is seen in their response in verse 39. They said this, They answered and said unto him, Here's what the Jews said to Jesus, Abraham is our father. Jesus saith unto him, them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. And by the way, I'll just throw this in here quick. When people said, you know, I just think we ought to be more like Jesus. Jesus went on from that and He says, no, 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 no. You're, you're not a father Abraham. You're of your other father. And they're thinking, well, well, what father's that? He said, oh, you're of your father the devil. Amen. Um, and so he, he, he told it like it was. In love and mercy and grace, but He told it like it was. So we see a distinction drawn in the Scripture concerning the child of God. Um, 
who's born physically into the nation of Israel and the seed of Abraham as far as the flesh is concerned. But this does not mean that that they are the seed of Abraham as far as faith is concerned. That is true only of those who have exercised their faith in Jesus Christ. And here's my application portion to all this. The point that he's making there in chapter number 9 of, of, of Romans is don't get the idea that just because this, these people were physically born into this nation that they, uh, that they inherit these promises. He said these are not the children of the promise. The children of the, of the promise are people who were physically born uh, into this family, but also by faith accepted Christ, accepted the truth of God's Word. Now, application. This serves as a good reminder to us Gentiles today. One's relationship with God, Ralph, is not determined by which family you're born into. Ralph, just like many of us, we may have been born into families to where they heard the gospel. Some of you may think, oh, I had the godliest grandmother or the godliest mother. And sometimes there's this uh, mistake that people will often make and they'll just... Uh, and man, it's, it's, it's something that really bothers me because it's so uh, wrong when somebody will say, well, I've been a Christian my whole life. Now, I understand oftentimes what people are saying by that. They're saying they were... Maybe they're saying that they were sprinkled as an infant or, or erroneously called being baptized as an infant, but, uh, and I was raised in church. I've been a Christian my whole life. But in the true sense, that's not the case. Because you are not a Christian because your mom and dad were a Christian. You're not a Christian because you go to a Christian church. You don't inherit this stuff just by these physical uh, uh, connections. By the way, you want to know a big pet peeve of mine? I want to encourage every parent, every grandparent here. Please, if I ever ask your child about when they got saved, I'd like to hear their testimony. I'm asking them. Unless you're the one that saved them. Unless they're counting on your... You know, right? If I'm saved, I need to be able to tell how, how the Lord saved me, when the Lord saved me, right? We might need some help getting, you know, understanding what it means to be saved and so forth. But what I'm saying is, that's kind of a big pet peeve of mine. You know, especially, I mean, I'm asking a, you know, a, a kid that, that ought to know better, you know, I mean, a, a, oh, when did you get saved? Oh, well, no, 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 don't ask him. Don't ask her. He got saved and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, did he get saved? Did you get saved? Does his salvation come from God or does it come from you? He said, preacher, I do that all the time. Well, I'm not mad at you. It might sound like him, but I'm not. I'm just saying, it's like, why can't? They answer. Let them speak. Uh, amen. I, I actually knew a married couple that way. Uh, this, this, this lady, quite, quite frankly, did not have a clear testimony of salvation. Uh, and the Lord was dealing with her heart. But in every time God would deal with, deal with uh, this lady's heart, uh, He would always step in and say, No, she's saved. I know she's saved. And He would just argue and argue and argue. You, you want to know who I know 100% sure is saved? I mean, truly know 100% sure who is saved today? Me. And now my spirit bears witness with your spirit. I mean, and we got a good testimony. I mean, you, you know, you got a testimony, and I and I believe. Uh, but but as far as one hundred percent assurance, I know that I'm saved. Amen. That ninety nine point nine percent sure as I am with a lot of people. <laughs> Amen. But I'm saying that it's not up to me to have assurance for my kids' salvation in particular. It's not up to me to have assurance. They need assurance. Amen. 
And so, uh, so, any, so anyway, I'm just saying, uh, why, why is that important? It's an individual faith. What was one of the failures of Israel? What was one of the, the, the problems with them? They thought because what they were born into, they were okay. Uh, it, is, it is the individual's decision. That's one of the reasons that, that's one of the many reasons, the Bible does not teach infant baptism. There was, a, there was a track years ago. I thought, I thought it, was a, it, it was an educational little track, but on the outside, just like this, it said on the front, what does the Bible say about infant baptism? What does the Bible say about infant baptism? And then you opened up the pamphlet, and it read just like this. Because that's what the Bible has to say about it. Because it's not in there. Um, and and, and that's, it's not meant to be smart aleck. It's meant to kind of make a point. That's not biblical. That's man-made. That's man-read into. Folks, uh, but one of the reasons that's so is that a person... Number one, baptism does not save. Baptism is not essential for salvation. Baptism is important, folks. God said that we should follow Him in baptism as a personal testimony. Obey the Lord. He'll give you the strength and the courage to overcome. I want you to know something. There are some people in this church that overcome some serious issues with water to get baptized. I mean, more serious than any of us can even understand they overcame by the grace of God. Why? Because they wanted to try to follow the Lord in obedience. Amen. So I encourage you if you haven't been baptized, but baptism doesn't save. Faith in Christ saves. And then baptism illustrates that we have put our faith and trust in Christ. So if a person has not put their faith and trust in Christ, guess what? Then, then the Bible does not allow baptism in that situation because they've got to make the decision. I can't make the decision for my kids. I can't make the decision for someone else. Listen, you must make the decision. Their failure, they failed to make an individual choice. And so you must decide to turn from trusting in yourself, trusting in your church, trusting in your family. You must decide to turn from what you can do what you can do and trust Christ for what He has already done for you. Amen. When you make this decision and place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you receive the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Let's all stand please. And Miss Song, if you'd come play on the piano. Where did they fail as a nation? They failed in individual faith. And there's many Jews that have put individual faith in Christ. But if you put your faith in Christ... By the way, there's another connection there pertaining to Abraham. You remember the first thing God told Abraham to go count and said that his seed would be like that? The sand. The next thing is, He said, now go count the stars. Go number the stars if you can tell them. Why? Because Abraham was going to have a people, a descendant of the earth, and descendants that their descendants was from heaven. Spiritual. That's the church, amen? That's the Gentiles and those Jews that get saved. But the, but the big thing is this. Have you personally, have you put your faith and trust in Christ? Oh, preacher, I'm a good person. I've been told that my whole life. I'm a good person. I do. I, you know, that's great. It really is. I believe in God and on down the road, wonderful. It really is great. But the question is this. Have you put your faith and trust in Christ as an individual? Are you trusting on your mom or your grandma's religion or church? Are you trusting on the fact that you're a member of this church? Or that you come to this church? Oh yeah, man, they preach the truth there. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, but if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you don't just make a physical connection and then I'm good. 
You know what the great thing is? Jesus wants to work in your life. Jesus said it this way, you must be born again. Born from above. Born from above. See, Jesus wants to make a change. It's not about you trying to do it. It's about accepting what Jesus has already done. Amen? If you have not accepted Christ today as an individual, will you please do so today? Will you please? I said earlier about not being able to uh, make a decision for you. Let me tell you something. If I could, I would. But I can't. I will plead with you. I will encourage you. I'll beg you. But the ultimate decision lies with you as the sweet Savior and the sweet Spirit of God speaks softly to your heart right now. You know why? He paid a great price for you. He loves you. He loves you as an individual. Would you be willing today to humble yourself and just admit before Him this morning, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I turn from my sin. I don't want to trust in my religion anymore. Jesus, I trust in You and only You. Jesus, will You save me? Jesus, will You cleanse me? Can you say that from your heart today? Oh, listen. He'll save you today if you'll let Him. Do you hear Him speaking to your heart? See, I can, I can, I can. The Bible says preach the gospel to every creature. That's talking about getting to the people's intellect. It takes the Spirit of God to get it to your heart. If it's getting to your heart today, that's the Holy Ghost of God. That's God Almighty speaking to you. Would you come to Him today? Heavenly Father, I thank You, dear Lord, for these that have come. Lord, I would beg You, but there's no sense in begging You. I'm begging them. Because, Lord, You paid a great price. Lord, You did so much. God, you, you come all the way from heaven. You went to the cross. Lord, I believe by Your sovereign hand that everyone here today is here for a reason. You have brought them here today. You've brought them this far. You've come this far, Lord. Now this final decision is up to them. Help that young man. Help that lady. Help that gentleman. Help that child, dear Lord, see. It's so simple. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. With every head bowed and every eye closed, right now I wonder if there's anyone in here this morning that you don't know that you're saved or maybe you know you need to be saved. Maybe right now you'd like to pray along with me this prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Will you please forgive me of my sin? Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you, Jesus. Now let me tell you something. A prayer like that doesn't mean much of anything if it just comes out of the mouth. But the Bible says, With the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen.